Well, we have a friendly bunch this morning. Howdy. I said howdy. Howdy. That's better. We'll make you Aggies yet. <laughs> well, good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Mariana. This is my lovely husband, David. He's here for decorative purposes, and I'll be... No, just kidding. I'll turn the letters as, <laughs> as they get guessed. So, as you heard, we've been here a while. In fact, we've both been with this church for over 15 years. Pretty close to when it was born, planted, if you will. And, as you might imagine, there's been a lot of changes in that time. Changes in our lives, changes in the church's life. I mean, think back 15 years. Think about what the world looked like 15 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I can't imagine that. I, I, I just must. No, no. No, don't hurt me. <laughs> or don't hurt David. He's the iPhone guy. I'm an Android <clears throat> person. Yes. My Android does all sorts of things. <clears throat> that. Well, anyway. Except play, <laughs> except play music the way I wanted it to. Yes, well, that's what he thinks. He hasn't found the correct app. That's all there is, because there's so many. It doesn't exist. I've tried. Okay, honey, we'll we'll save this for the road. Is there a doctor in the house? In our lives, um, in the last 15, 16 or so years, um, we've seen my parents pass away, and we've seen our first two grandchildren be born. We each went Mm -hmm. through a divorce, to other people, From other, yeah. and then we were married, and three of our five kids were married, and three of our five kids were baptized. We've been through several layoffs, several new jobs, uh, three moves, and we're in the middle of our fourth, and that's just the highlights and lowlights of some very good and very hard times, and I don't see how we could have made it if we hadn't had the support of the church body, the people in this church in particular. Um, David doesn't really have close relationships with family members. Um, My siblings are supportive, but there's just so much that they can do. And so we'd be in deep trouble um, without this body. And in the church's life, we've had members who've passed away. We've had members who've been born or born again. We've been in a couple of different buildings. We've had changes in community groups, changes in ministries. We've seen some really wild dreams realized, and then we've seen some dreams that had to be put on the shelf for a while. And we walked through all of that together. And so we're here this morning pretty much to share our perspective at this stage of the journey, being able to look back and being able to look back at what um, the impact of being in community has meant, as opposed to um, God and I, we have a relationship, and it's just, you know, I'll, I'll go to the woods and pray to him, and, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what we've experienced. So we've been studying Galatians, or maybe I should say you've been studying Galatians since we've been in and out. And you should have received um, a little handout with the verses for today. If you didn't, would you please raise your hand, and could somebody help David Pass those out so we can be sure you have them. You don't need to start reading them right now. I promise there will be a time. But you've been 
learning about how Jesus calls us to be free, to be free of religious rules, to be free of pride, to be free of that sibling competition that people tend to have with each other, to be free of oppression, and another good word for that is sin. And today, I believe God wants us to shake free of the worship of comfort. I mean, that really is an idol in this country. It's almost like a thermometer. If I'm uncomfortable, it must be bad. Um, And to shake free of fear, particularly fear of intimacy with other people. And our culture has almost turned that word into a synonym for sex, and it's not. There can be intimacy in sexual acts, but intimacy goes so much further than that. So let's, let's start with praying. Lord, thank you for preparing this place, preparing a place in each heart, preparing a place in each life for the plans that you have for us, for they are good. Lord, I ask that you would open every heart and every pair of ears this morning to cry out to you and to receive, to receive your healing, to receive your empowering, and to receive your calling and and answer it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to take some time to silently to yourself read today's verses. I don't just mean let your eyeballs go over the letters. I mean, read to understand what it's saying. Ask God to show you what part he wants to highlight for you. And we're going to take a few minutes to connect with God. Just in quiet. It's okay, even if it's uncomfortable. Okay. We gave you two different versions to help you really get a feel for both the spirit of the message, which is a paraphrase, and also for the meanings of the words in the original language. Sometimes people are surprised when I tell them the Bible wasn't written in English. (laughs) And any translation has its limitations, and so that's why the Amplified includes some bracketed explanations of what the words meant. And I think there might be a temptation when we read this to think, well, this applies to, like, leaders, like senior Christians, those who are spiritual, right? Because we tend to think of words like pastor as a job title. My doctor, my dentist, my electrician, my pastor, my plumber. And that word is supposed to describe a relationship. And we had a friend a number of years ago who actually had sheep at one point in his life. And I think of him often now because one of our little dogs looks a lot like a little sheep. She's very, very curly fur. And he explained to us that the only way for him to know what was wrong with his sheep was to feel them. Every night as they came back in through the gate, he would run his fingers through their fur to find any sticks or burrs or things like that. And even yesterday, our dog Nikki was limping, and I picked up her paw, and I couldn't see anything wrong, so I felt it. And when I felt it, sure enough, there were little pieces of burr that stuck to me and hurt me. But that's how I was able to, to help get it out of her paw. And so you can imagine the level of intimacy that is. The Bible says the shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Well, this is why. And he explained to us that sheep aren't very smart, that they'll eat anything. 
kind of like some people that will believe anything they hear, especially if, it's, if they read it on the Internet, because then it has to be true. And they'll eat stuff that's poisonous. And so then the pastor has to help them with that. And if they get to the point where they can't get rid of their poop, the shepherd has to help them with that. And I won't go into any more detail. Don't worry. He went into excruciating detail with us. Don't worry. I won't. But the point is, that's love. That's what it takes. That's what they need to get the garbage out. And sometimes that's what we do for each other as Christians. But it's a calling to everyone. If you've been a Christian for a month, you have had certain experiences and understandings that somebody else doesn't. And you can be both an example and an encouragement to them. And this isn't the most comfortable thing. I don't have the time right now to go into it, but there's a very interesting scene in the New Testament where two of the leaders of the first century church, Peter and Paul, have a little conversation where Paul, who's kind of the newcomer, is having to correct Peter because he's being a hypocrite hypocrite in the way he deals with people. That's not something that's comfortable for me to do to someone or to hear from someone. That's okay. The cross was not comfortable. The cross was anything but comfortable. That's my, my measure when I think God's calling me to do something that's just too much to ask. If I got up here and didn't show you a video, some of you would be shocked. And so we are going to watch a video. And I wanted to warn you ahead of time, this might make you a little bit uncomfortable. Because it deals with an older lady who's dealing with Alzheimer's. And so she doesn't look as pretty as she probably once looked. She can't communicate with words. It's something that you know, might, would probably be uncomfortable for a lot of people. But there's a social worker working with her, and this social worker is just a master at what she does. She's finding a way to enter her world, to bear her burdens, just like the scriptures call us to do. And I really want you to watch this. It's less than five minutes long, and I promise at the end there's something beautiful that happens that makes it worth whatever might be a little uncomfortable. We could turn the lights down a little. When people are very old and deteriorated and no one enters their world and they're just sitting there, they will withdraw inward more and more and their desperate need for, for connection is all now inside. And if a person is all alone, even if they're very, very deteriorated, there's a longing for this kind of closeness. Mrs. Wilson, hello. You want me to sit? Can you see me good? Gladys Wilson is a wonderful example of a person who was in the phase of repetitive motion where people use movements, repetitive movements, because they don't have any more speech or very little speech, but they have human needs that need to be expressed. You cry. You cry. 
crying. You have a tear right here in your face. You have a little pain. You want me to touch you. You're very sad. Can you see me? Is it scary? You afraid? And if this person sits with their eyes closed, rocking back and forth, and maybe there's a tear coming down, there's a need there. There's a little tear that's coming out. Do you feel it? You feel a little tear? If you gently use touch, and I touched Gladys Wilson for the fingertips right here on the cheek, is where the mother usually touches a child. If you touch an infant there, it looks up, and every cell remembers where it was touched by the mother. And often that person knows, even if they can't say a word at that moment, they won't talk, but or they don't want to talk. But there's there's a communication, and that person is no longer alone. Can you let me in a little bit? You think just a little? You think I could be with you and Jesus for a minute? Jesus loves me, yes I know. For the Bible tells me so. I use music because when speech is gone, music, especially with Gladys Wilson, it was religious music because there's emotion tied to it and safety tied to it. So I used her old church song. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What I did was, when she moved, I moved with her. And when I was singing, because she didn't sing with me, so I matched the intensity of my voice to the intensity of her movement. And pretty soon, for a split second, we became one person. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So at one point, when she got very quiet and very peaceful, and my voice became very quiet as hers and very peaceful, and my breathing slowed to her breathing, she pulled me to her. And I moved with her. And for her, at that moment, I believe I was a symbol of, of her mom. Can you open your eyes now? Do you see me? Feel safe and warm? Yes? Can you sing with me? He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's got the mothers and the fathers. He's got the mothers and the fathers. He's got the mothers. Father's in his 
the breakthrough doesn't happen every time. The person will not always look their, open their eyes and look at you. But if you keep trying and you send, keep centering yourself and uh, really look at that person and really mirror their movements, maybe not this time, but the next time you come, you'll have a communication. You feel safe yeah. with Jesus yeah. and me. You're welcome. And see, God wants to touch people in their loneliness, in their fear, in their illness, and He uses us. Now, the the social worker there. Um, Something interesting about her, she was raised in an old folks' home. Her father was the administrator. Her mother was in charge of social services. And I I wouldn't be surprised if someone raised like that would never want to see another old person as long as they lived, right? (laughs) But God used that. He He was calling her to her place from the time she was a very little girl. And I suspect that as a little girl, she learned to communicate with nonverbal patience without any of the um, limitations that education might have, might have given her. She was born in the 1930s, so you can imagine what some of the thoughts would have been about people who reach this stage and what they're capable of and not capable of, even today, I imagine. And I doubt that Mrs. Wilson smelled real good, right? And it, it wasn't easy to communicate with her. But the social worker found something that they could share, found that music that she was okay with. That's love. That, that's getting intimate. Even if it doesn't work, it doesn't always work, like she said. And whenever you get so involved in someone's life that you, you are able to identify the fear, the pain, the sin... There's discomfort and there's a little bit of fear, at least, maybe a lot of fear on both parts. The person who's letting you in and the person who's reaching out, who's trying to bring correction or to bring some new understanding. I want to give you two quick examples um, of that happening in my life in this church. When I first started coming here, um, very difficult time in my life. The church was still pretty young, but it finally had enough teenagers that we could start a youth group. And Clara was starting a youth group, and she asked me if I would partner with her in that. And so we started working together, and she started getting to know me. And at some point, she said to me, you know, Mariana, you are hard to know. It's not easy to get to know you. And, yes, the rest of us have a responsibility for asking you questions and getting to know you, But, Mariana, you also have a responsibility for making it a little easier, for being more transparent. And I've been working on that ever since. And the reason that I was so good at um, being unreadable is that I had to learn to do that as a very small child to protect myself. I learned that that was the way not to be hurt, was to make no expressions, to say nothing, have no facial expression, no body language that my mentally ill mother might react to. 
And it didn't occur to me that what helped me survive that made it very difficult for me to connect with people. But she offered me that feedback, and it's made a world of difference for me to be teachable and apply it. Another situation, a few years later, David and I were already married. We were counseling a young couple, and the husband had um, some issues with anger management. And, in fact, um, the wife was so uncomfortable with him, understandably, that there had been no physical intimacy between them for over six months. And I think they were like in their 20s or something at the time. And so that motivated the husband enough to say, we need help. I'm willing to change whatever it is. And it wasn't just that. He really is a loving guy. He didn't want to um, be aggressive towards his wife, but he couldn't break free of that. And as David and I got to know them, and that's not just getting to know, like seeing them in a Sunday service or even seeing them in a community group, which we did, but we spent time with them and we did things with them. We were able to give him this feedback. The movies he was watching, the TV shows he was watching, the music he was listening to, the video games he was playing were all full of anger and violence. And we told him, you can't have that stuff coming into your soul, your heart, your mind, constantly being battered with this, playing these games where you're reacting, reacting, reacting with violence, and not expect it to affect you. He thought that. He was deceived. One time he and David were riding along in the car, and he says, oh, David, I want you to hear this song. It's got an excellent bass or drum or whatever. And as he plays it, David stops it and says... Dude, Satan is my only friend? The only one who understands me. What are you programming yourself with? Oh, well, I don't listen to the words. Trust me. Your eardrums did not stop working when it came to the lyrics. Those are going into you. And he had a problem that he wanted help with. And so we're giving him this feedback, and that makes him very angry. And we are sitting on the floor. I'm sitting right across from him, and he starts yelling at me. And I have a background with people yelling at me and bad things happening. And I'm crying. And I tell him, we love you. We love your wife. We love your marriage. We want to see you be close again. That's why we're doing this. That wasn't comfortable, but it wasn't the cross. It was love. At that moment, that's what love looked like. Okay, let's lighten things up a little bit. (laughs) Because David's found this great example just a couple of days ago of why sometimes it's really helpful to have somebody else give you some perspective on your perspective. Hi, everyone. I'm trying to get used to wearing this mic. I don't remember ever using it before. I'm having to wrestle with my inner Garth Brooks. And the thing, well, the thing is, is that I've got friends in high places, not low places. So anyway, during a visit to a um, mental asylum, a gentleman asked the director, says, how do you determine whether or not a patient should be institutionalized? Well, the doc- director said, we fill up a bathtub. 
Then we give him a teaspoon, a teacup, and a bucket and ask him or her to empty the bathtub. They can only use one. And the man says, oh, I get it. A normal person would use the bucket because it's bigger than the spoon or the teacup. The director says, no. A normal person would pull the plug. Would you like your bed next to the window? You know, I come before you today not as a big shot, but just a little shot that kept shooting. It was about 17 years ago that I first came to this church, although it was in another location down the street. But I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember walking in the door and at a time that I, of day that I didn't realize was Vineyard Standard Time. I learned that later. But um, their band was rocking the house, man. They were they were getting after it, and I saw that the band had a drummer. I was hooked. I didn't even get the second foot in the door. I mean, I was in mid stride. I'm like, I remember seeing this out loud. I'm home. Little did I know that a year or so later, I would find myself at pretty much absolute rock bottom. I'm going to spare you the gory details. Just suffice it to say that I was in a messed up in a big way. But it was actually beneficial in the long run. Because in that time, I finally came to the end of me. And I began finally to surrender to God. He'd been asking for a long time. And there came a moment where I just threw up my hands and I said, Okay, God, I'm ready to see what you can do. I can look back and I know that that was a turning point in my life. Um, Not that everything was peaches and cream and roses and rainbows, you know, from that moment on. I would get prayer every Sunday morning, and it would carry me for a while, but I was really on a roller coaster. You know, I had resisted joining a small group out of fear, really, you get right down to it. I had every kind of excuse in the book. And then one day, a fellow, some of you, some of y'all know, James Whitmire, and I were talking, and at some point, he says, so, what small, what small group are you going to? And I told him I wasn't. And in a way that only James has, he looked at me and he says, why not, dude? <laughs> I didn't have an answer. I didn't have an ex- I was out of excuses, and I didn't want to give excuses anymore. So, with his encouragement, I actually started, I I gave in and started attending a weekly small group, another turning point. It's actually uh, Nigel and Joyce McKay, wave, every, thank you. They were leading the group. There's another couple was hosting. And little by little, I began acclimating to the group and relaxed to a degree. It was in this group that I really be- 
began to see and to get my first up-close exposure to the workings of the Holy Spirit. I had seen some things from a distance. I was here the night Randy got ordained. A lot of things were happening. Um, the best best indicator that it was I was okay with is that I didn't run screaming from the building. But God's good. Uh, but I didn't know come here from Sikkim about spiritual gifts. That would change soon enough between Nigel and other people getting words of knowledge, watching videos of, of things happening that um, people just couldn't work up, okay, things that were impossible. I became totally convinced that there was a whole lot more to this God that I barely knew. Nigel took me to a meeting where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit along with the gift of speaking in tongues. That was significant in itself, but I don't really have time to go into that at the moment. Um, What I do want to talk about is what it meant in my uh, reading of the Bible. It opened, I have been reading the Bible pretty regularly for a while, several years. I mean, I even, I, I did a read the Bible in a year program one time, and it was very, it was awesome. But the the Bible came alive in a way that it never was before. You know, and I'd read verse after verse, story after story, and I could see just total, almost everything had application in my life, either directly or indirectly somehow. You know, so that there were, um, you know, I'd read something and it actually meant something more than just words on a page. You know, we read something like, what is in Psalms 68.6. God sets the lonely in families. I'd read that, I'm sure, a couple, three or four times before. And okay, that's cool. But I just, you know, I was just reading, just more or less just to read and, you know, get out of what I could. But it hit me. God had put me in a family. This family right here. It's a little subtle. You might have caught the connection. I didn't make the progress that I made in a vacuum. It was with the encouragement and the tough love of others. And it didn't happen overnight. What Just the piece I described is probably a couple of years worth, if not more. You know, every week, Kevin uh, mentioned it again today. In fact, he all but had my message. I started to say, okay, Kevin did my message. Let's go eat. <laughs> but um, about this church being a relationship-based church. And what, what I had been describing to you about my early experiences in this church and with small groups is a, is a representation of, of why we do it that way. Because the idea is to get people to stick around long enough to get it. You know, to, to understand that there's, that God's real and there's more to Him and that we can't, He's too big to get in one bite in one morning. You know, we can preach fire and brimstone and there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. 
We get people saved. But then what? You know, there's life after that point, you know, and we're every bit as much about that life before, during and after the the saving process. You know, God will become whatever we'll let him become. And we'll let him become bigger when we have people that will challenge us in relationship. Um, you know, there's a, in Proverbs, there's a scripture that talks about iron sharpening iron. And uh, I don't have a prop, but you'll have to just visualize this. You know, if you think of someone sharpening a knife, like with a sharpening instrument, there's two things interacting, okay? You can't take a knife and wave it through the air and have it get sharp. It gets sharper. It doesn't. It can't happen. Okay, so um, and the thing about relationships is it really, it's really important to the folks that are in that postmodern category, the postmodern mindset, because they really resist anything that's heavy-handed, that sounds like, or <laughs> plays out like, "Do what I say, not what I do." That goes in church, too. Postmoderns value relationship and experience above almost everything else. We do need all the expressions of in the body of Christ. So there's um, it's why we have charismatics and why we have Baptists and Catholics and, and uh, you know, any number of, of groups because some people will connect with some and not with others and but it, it takes the entire body of Christ to reach the most number of people. You know, and we're not soft on sin around here by any stretch of the imagination. But what we want people to do is to get God conscious, not sin conscious. To grow so deep in relationship with Jesus that you do the right things because you don't want to injure your relationship with him. Not because you're constantly looking over your shoulder, wondering when the punishment's going to hit. You know, for the slightest transgression. You know, I try to, I'm not, I've got a long ways to go in doing this, but, you know, I try the, because I love Adiana, I do, I don't do things that I know would hurt our relationship. And same same way with with our relationship with God. You know, the philosopher Socrates said this: the unexamined life is not worth living. Well, I'm going to submit to you that it's in community that life is best examined. We don't know what we don't know, and as has already been mentioned at least once, um, if by definition, if you're deceived, you don't know. <laughs> you can't know. You can't say, I'm not deceived, if others are discerning that you are. You know, you need to submit and, you know, let's explore things further. 
The more submitted to others, especially to the authority, the better. The more open, the more transparent, the better. One important impact about being submitted is that your small group, your community group leaders, the ministry leaders, um, board members, pastoral staff, all those people can pray for you from a place of authority. And that's a, that's a special place to have prayers come from. So I want to fast forward to this last Christmas. Um, I never, I've read, you know, I've received Christmas letters, but I've never really written one. Um, and I sat down and I was just connected with God and contemplated, you know, some things that had been going on. And um, I wrote my first Christmas letter. So I want to share it with you. And what it, it represents the culmination of 17 years of community in this church. You know, we're all in this together. Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. The ones that are up bolster the ones that are down. Because that's what family does. We help each other keep shooting. So this is Christmas night. Um, Sitting here, contemplating, connecting with God, and it feels more like Thanksgiving than Christmas. Sorry. It has been a hard year for us, both of us being under or unemployed virtually since January. But God is faithful and has touched our lives over and over and over in the meantime. I am humbled and amazed at the generosity of our family and friends. Some of you may, some of you may, might have seen this. I, I did put it on Facebook. And we had several, several people went in together and bought Mariana a new pair of glasses. Someone paid for a medication that dramatically improves my quality of life. But it's too new to have a generic. So it's it's pretty it's it's not cheap. We've procured new employment, though it does mean a move to Cyprus, Texas. We had to go to Houston to interview and along with the gas expense it was gonna mean a night stay in a hotel. Upon hearing about it, Unasked on Facebook, <laughs> right? There was a couple, um, former uh, members of this church that uh, we're still in relationship with, said they'd cover it. And <laughs> the thing is, is that when the check arrived. We could have stayed for a whole week if we needed to. Many people from church, all y'all, <laughs> have given us money, some directly, some anonymously. I long ago lost track of the total. Our hairstylist friend has given us free and reduced rate dues. 
A doctor friend has waived out-of-pocket expenses we should have had to pay for several years now. When we've had insurance, he accepted our gratitude and only what the insurance covered. When we haven't, he accepted our gratitude alone with never a hint of any negative impact on our friendship. Another friend overpaid me for babysitting his kids occasionally. Other friends way overpaid me for doing some light bookkeeping for them. Still other friends way overpaid me for house sitting for them. We've been gifted with dog food, with homegrown fruit and vegetables, complete meals at times, um, even home-laid eggs. So we have several that do that. And that's just from the financial arena. I don't, I don't think they're trying to... Remember this, I'm alone. <laughs> I'm just, I don't think they're trying to get rid of us, but people are offering to come help us pack and move. <laughs> Including the loan of vehicles with trailers and, and more. The time spent on us in many ways is more precious than the monetary gifts. People have been available to encourage us when we're down to give us a safe place to vent, to cry, to laugh, whatever we need to express at a given time. Probably most importantly, many people are praying for us at any given time and with us when able. It makes a difference. It really does. And those who might not pray as much or as such send positive thoughts and energy and good vibes our way. That makes a difference, too. I'm extremely grateful for all of it. A lot of people, myself included, have asked something akin to, why does God allow bad things to happen? Well, what I've just described, what I've just listed, represents a good portion of why. Although there are going to be things we're just never going to understand on this side of the pearly gates. This is how God expresses his love for us. Probably most often. It's through other people. It does make it harder to recognize him that way, but it's worth the effort. After all, it's only recorded in the Bible once that there was a burning bush. There's only one fleece, only one net-breaking catch of fish. So we shouldn't necessarily expect that kind of thing to happen all the, all the time. But happen it could. Am I on? So like David said, God expresses his love for us through each other, through our actions and our words. And the the Trinity is in a constant dance that it's inviting us into. If we'll just have our ears open. And God loves us the way a groom loves his bride. And before I was David's wife, when I was his bride-to-be, he wrote me a poem. And we want to read it to you as the bride of Jesus. And we want you to listen to it individually, but also as part of a collective bride. 
We've changed a couple of words just to make it more appropriate. And we're going to read it to you, both of us, because some people have trouble being intimate with the God they perceive as male. God is not male, not female. God is not he, she, or it. God is so much more. And so we wanted you to hear it with both voices. You are the dreams I dream. You are the songs I sing. You are every dance I will ever dance. You are every word I will ever write. You are every mountain I love to climb. You are every smile that I can smile. You are a living concerto, the completion of my every unfinished symphony. You are my every unpublished manuscript come to fruition. You are every hidden treasure awaiting discovery. You are every experience I've ever hoped to enjoy. You are the embodiment of every blessing I have ever bestowed. You are the answer to every prayer that I have yet to answer. You are poetry in motion. You are faith in action. You are life. You are joy. You are life. You are hope. You are peace. You are a wife. You are beauty. You are my home. You are my crown. You are my priceless jewel. I am yours. You are my... We are God's romance. If you have felt moved, if you know that God's inviting you to dance, not necessarily physically, I invite you to come up. To come up as an expression of your response to God. You can turn it up.
I'm reminded of just following Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan. It seems, appears to be the next day. Jesus is leaving the tent city of folks that had uh, spent the night there. And as he walks away, a couple of John the Baptist disciples are following him. And um, somehow Jesus is, you know, gets that there's somebody nearby, and I don't know if he, you know, stopped or if they were actually walking together at that moment. But I, I can hear those two disciples, one of whom was John, sort of uh, not John the Baptist, but the future John, one of the disciples, who wrote the book of John. Not knowing what to say to this man, people saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus as a dove. John the Baptist was not the only one. Many did not see it. These disciples of John may well have seen that. And what would you do if you saw that kind of thing happen to somebody? I think I'd like to be near that guy. But what do you say? What do you say to... Somebody who's radiating. And they stumbled out the words, well, where are you staying? What kind of a question is that? They're out in the middle of the desert. I guess they maybe are sort of asking, well, where are you going? And Jesus had a very simple, a very simple reply. He said, come and see. And that's what they did for three years. They came and saw Jesus. And we've seen Jesus. And every one of you has been invited by God and by this church. Come and see. It really is only in relationship, in community, connected with God, connected with people, that we are going to grow and change. It does not happen alone on a mountaintop. We can have mountaintops. Mountaintops are okay. But they're only a moment in time. What happens the next day and a week later and a year later? And so I believe that God's invitation to each of us today through what David and Mariana have shared is an invitation to join the Trinity, the community of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and His bride, expressed here on the corner of Bandera Road and Eckert, by a little congregation that's got curtains up and tile that's broken and steps that don't have carpet on them, but we have steps now. And here's the word of God to you. And here's the word that I have for you as a pastor of this church. Why don't you come on in? Why don't you come and see? There's more to know. 
There's more to get. But you're going to have to come in. You're going to have to come hang out. And so in Jesus' name, I bless you now. I bless you like those two disciples who've gotten a glimpse of something. They've they've heard something. They've seen something. They know there's something there, but they're really not quite sure what it is. They know it's attached to this guy, but what is it? I don't know. And the Trinity and we here at Vineyard Church say, come and see. Come and hang out for a while. Let's be friends. Let's figure out what it means to love one another. Let's figure out what it means to be a spirit-filled follower of Jesus at my workplace while I'm driving with my family. Come and see. The water's fine. How about you dive in? Be blessed with the invitation of God and the invitation of we folks here in this little building. Come on in. We love you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for being with us uh, today. Hope you were uh, blessed and uh, felt loved, perhaps connected with God.